it's really hard for a pastor to give up his pulpit, so I count that as a privilege to um, even have him ask me to do that. So y'all pray for me today. Um, it's hard to uh, speak to a congregation your size without getting a little nervous, but when the pastor comes back to listen to, that's when it really gets bad. <laughs> but um, you may not feel fortunate because I'm speaking today, but I promise you that I've got a word for you from God today. And sometimes God's word is um, like the praise and worship today. It was sweet and precious and good to the soul. It feeds you. And then other times God gives you a word for other purposes. And today, today um, the message that he gave me um, not, not long after a pastor had texted me was one that I didn't want to teach. Um, but I began to pray about it, began to study, and God began to put things together and even last week, I said, Lord, give me, give me just that one last little thing that just kind of puts everything together. And he spoke one word to me and put it all together. So I, I pray, and I want you all to pray for me, that um, I can share this in the way he gave it to me. And he says his word will not return void. And so it'll go out and it'll prosper and do what he said it would do. So if you'll just uh, bear with me this Sunday, pastor will be back next week. So anyway, um, if you got your Bibles and you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be um, reading, and I, I get, get going, I get pretty fast, but most of my scriptures are going to be in Acts today. And if I were going to title the lesson that I'm going to talk, teach today, it's called Pride, Pressure, and Grace. Pride, Pressure, and Grace. When you ask someone, let me ask you, what is your, who would be your favorite person in the Bible? that if you could pattern yourself after, aside from Jesus, because we all want to be like him, who would you pick? Who would be that person that you would pick? And I've, I've asked people that all, all my life, and many times, um, many times, uh, the majority of the time, people will pick the same person, and that name is Paul. And the reason I think part of that is is because Paul was so faithful, wrote most of the New Testament, we're going to talk about Paul today. And so when we go to Acts 6 and 5, it's kind of where I'm going to start. I'm not going to read all that, but it's talking about a man named Stephen. And Stephen was one of you. He was one of the people that was involved in the ministry, and he was chosen to serve. And the Bible says that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you all believe that that is a couple of things that should be uh, qualifications for people today that serve in the church? Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have that, we're going to be in trouble when it comes to, to serving others. And, and then it says in verse 8, he was full of faith and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen was one of those guys that every pastor wants in his church. He was the guy that he didn't have to be up front. He didn't have to have a title. He didn't have to have a position. He just wanted to serve. And what he, what he did was he, he gave his all to that, he sacrificed himself to that, and then so God took that and multiplied it and made him a mighty powerful man that could do signs and wonders that not everybody was doing. Stephen's one of those guys that I kind of want to pattern myself after. I love a servant heart in people, and I think pastors love that too. And we need those people in our churches. But in the background of all of this, Stephen had some enemies. How many of you all know we have enemies? And there was a group of men that started stirring up the people against Stephen. Stephen was doing nothing but good, but they were stirring up people against him. 
And in chapter 7, verse 58, here's what it says. They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, when we talk about being stoned, I think so many times we just think about little bitty rocks. Um, when I walk in the mornings when it's just barely daybreak, I have my rock that I carry, and it fits in the palm of my hand, and it's got a really sharp edge on it. That's my weapon. So y'all just look out if you come stalking. I got a weapon. <laughs> that my angels. But they had huge stones, and they would put that man in position, and everybody would gather around him and begin to pour, hit him and throw those stones with all their might at him, at his head, at his body, and began to do anything they could to destroy him. And they absolutely killed Stephen by stoning him. It's not a way anybody wanted to die. And there standing in the outer circle of the whole bit of trouble was a man named Saul. And the Bible says that they, I mean, they got real about this. They would take off their robes and they would throw them down so they could have a good aim at stoning him. They didn't want anything hindering. They were so full of bitterness that they wanted to be a part of this. They, they wanted to be a large part of this. And so they stoned him to death. And then we go on in Acts 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And here's what it says. Now Saul, the same Saul I was talking about, was consenting to his death against, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And verse 3 says, listen to this, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So see, Saul didn't stop there. He just got his juices flowing. And so he begins to travel around and begins to go into people's houses that called themselves Christians and begin to pull them out and have dragged them. I don't think he done it nicely. And would drag them out of their home and have them put into prison because they believed in the man Jesus. And then... Let's flip over another chapter to chapter 9 and just read the first two verses there. We're talking about, still talking about Saul. And then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him on the synagogues, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, were of the way, we are of the way, if they were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Can you tell that Saul was on a mission? Saul was a, he was a mighty man. He believed in God. He believed in the Lord. But he didn't believe in them preaching Jesus as the son of God. And here's the, here's the point I want to make today when I begin to teach this. Paul, Saul thought he was doing a good work. He thought he was doing a great work. He had convinced himself that he was doing what was right that what he was doing was a favor to the world. In his heart, he didn't know that, he didn't realize he was doing anything wrong. He thought he was doing those people a favor by getting rid of those radical, crazy people that was preaching about a man that he didn't believe in. And sometimes um, we get ourselves in a position as Christians that we think we're doing a good work. We think we're doing the world a favor. And we don't realize that God's watching. God's watching, and he knows the deception of our pride. He knew, 
He knew that Saul would never see the truth unless he helped him. Now, I know that you all know the story, and, and we'll read on in a little bit more about Saul, but um, eventually he had, a, he had a change in his pride, and I'm going to talk about pride today. I know there's probably people sitting here that thinks, well, that's not a problem with me. Okay, before we get done, maybe you'll change your mind. But here's what the definition is. It's a feeling or deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Pride will convince a person that they're doing amazing things, that what they think and what they say is always right. Pride will tell you that being critical of what someone else is doing is okay, that what you're doing is better than anyone else could do it, and that you have a right to put people in their places by their actions by, and your opinions and your words. Pride will sh stare you in the face and lie. It will tell you how the church and the family and the co-workers and the world would never make it without you in it. Pride makes you entitled. It will feed your power that belittles and mistreats and undermines those with seemingly less power than you. Pride will say, I can sing, I can preach, I can teach better than them, so why am I not promoted to that position? Pride will have you sharing your concerns about other people with other people. How your part in all of it is perfect and imperfect people are just ruining it. Pride will have you look at others' blessings and resent them because they don't deserve it. And pride will hold you hostage to selfishness and unforgiveness because those that hurt you don't deserve to be forgiven. Pride will cause you to overlook a good, trustworthy friend, a ministry, or someone that is your true love. Pride will cause you to miss it. And pride will harden a heart, destroy peace, promote chaos and strife, and discontentment, pride will control your life. A Proverbs 16, 18 talks about pride, and it says, I don't know if she's got, yeah, pride goes before, before destruction and a holy, haughty spirit before a fall. In verse 19, it says, it's better to be of a lowly spirit with a poor man than to divide the spoil with the proud. And even scarier than that, in James 4, 6, here's what it says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So see, there's a theme throughout the whole Old and New Testament that talks about God's hatred for pride. And when we pursue our honor from others and from what we're doing, and we exalt ourselves and we cut ourselves off from God's help is what we're doing because he'll oppose us. He'll turn his back away because he hates pride. It says he opposes it. He goes against it. So how important is it as a church family, as a body of Christ, as someone representing Jesus to say, i got to check my spirit. I'm telling you, as I studied this, and I, I share this with my Sunday school class and with the women's ministry, as I study this, God began to show me any word I'd speak out of my mouth that had pride in it. Anything that I would think in my mind that had pride in it. God, Holy Spirit would rise up in me and say, there it is. There it is, Amy. And I'd have to immediately repent of that. You don't get up here and teach other people something without God teaching you through it. Let me tell you. 
I taught embracing adversity for about three or four weeks back in the back on Sunday nights, and I was ready to be done with that because I had to learn how to embrace adversity, let me tell you. But pride is something that hides itself. And Paul, he thought that, I mean, this is the man that wrote half of the Bible. He was the one that everybody wants to be like. But Paul had such pride, he didn't even realize he was doing more damage to the kingdom than he ever was good. Pride. There are other feelings that are rooted in pride. For example, unforgiveness. If you're sitting here today and you say you're a Christian and you've got a grudge that you've been holding for 15 years, pride is the root of that. Yeah, thank you for those few amens. <laughs> pride is bitterness. You've got bitterness in your heart. Here's another one that I've learned, disappointment. You disappointed in people? That's your pride saying, I know better about them than you. they do. Pride, it, it, pride is filled in hurt and offense. I pray today the spirit of offense is, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus because offense will come in and say, well, she's talking about pride, and I don't have any of that, and I'm not going to listen. That's what pride will do. It'll bring that spirit of offense. There's nothing wrong, guys, with being confident and being bold in what you believe and who you are in Christ. There's nothing wrong with standing for truth. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've watched it most of my Christian life. Pride can take those things over and destroy them. We have got to guard our hearts. I love that they talk today about the endless grace of Jesus Christ and, and that there's no other name. And I love the songs that they sung today because that's exactly what we need to grab hold of and realize without it, we're in trouble. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Matthew 7 is one of the 21 through 23 is one of the scariest scriptures that I've read. And I, I, I keep my mind on it often. It says, three little verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus talking, written in red, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. See, we can be doing these amazing things in the name of Jesus. These people even called him Lord. They were saying, Lord, Lord, look, don't you remember what all I did for you? Don't you remember those amazing things that I did in the church? Those things that nobody else would do? Those things that drew people to you? Those things that got people saved? Don't you remember all those and Jesus says to them, please go away. I don't even know you. That is frightening to me. That keeps Amy Blau guarding her heart at all times. Because we can work ourselves to an early grave in, in the house of the Lord. We can tr try to do amazing things. And, and the mercy of God will allow us to do those things. But it's our responsibility to guard our hearts and make sure pride does not enter in. And we don't take the glory for that. Truthfully, you and I are no better than anyone else in God's eyes. I love Kim's testimony today. Let me tell you right now, God loves and appreciates the words that Kim got up here and said this morning a whole lot more than he does the ones I'm saying. He, the angels were smiling at heaven when Kim was up here, scared half out of her wits, saying what she was saying. I'm telling you, they were rejoicing in heaven. They know I just talk all the time. They don't get real excited about hearing about me. They don't. 
I know that. He's good enough to let me keep talking. But oh, I'm telling you, you get one pulled up out of the pit, and they come up and begin to testify. He gets excited about that. He loves the drug addict. He loves the alcoholic, the abuser, the thief, the liar. He may hate what they do and love what we're doing, but Jesus died for every one of them. And his blood will clean them up just like it did ours. And we have a tendency with our pride to think we're a little bit better. The world looks at us and y'all think you're so much better. Well, we're not. We got a better future ahead of us for sure because we found the truth and we're following it. But in God's eyes, he loves them just as much as he does you and I. And that's very difficult for us to understand because we hate their sin. We hate what they do. When I've been involved in deliverance ministry, I had to learn really quick on it. And I went to school and learned this. You have to separate the sins from the person or you'll never help them. Because God loves that person just, I mean, he loves them just like they are. But he hates their sins. And that's what you attack, not the person. So pride will, will um, tell them that, tell you guys um, that we don't need Jesus. We know we do. But he'll tell the drug addict and he'll tell them that you and I are the weak ones. We're the ones that need someone to lean on, our crutch. You ever had somebody tell you that? I don't need a crutch like you got with that Jesus. They just, pride will lead them to eternal destruction. It said pride goes before destruction. And so if you're sitting here today and Jesus is not your Savior, pride is part of your life too. This is for you too, not just the church. Because it's causing you to believe a lie. Pride's powerful. Now, I'm going to move on to pressure now. Oh, I'm doing good. Moving on to pressure now. Pride, pressure, and grace. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. And this is Paul talking too. Oh, Jesus has come to him and he's done amazing work for him. And Paul knows it. And he begins to share about some pressure that he and um, his disciples have been under. And he says in verse 8, how many of y'all can relate to this? We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This is the same man that was murdering people back in Acts. And now he's like, I can carry... Jesus in my body and manifest him. He's, he's learned some lessons, hasn't he? He has. And then if you, if you go over to chapter 11 and 24 through 28, he talks some more about pressure. He says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the church. So what Paul is doing here is he's explaining some of the things he's been through since he gave his life to Jesus. When we come into church, we have no idea the pressure that's sitting around us every single week. When we go to work, when we drive down the road, when our children go to school, 
If you look up the word pressure, the root word is press, apply force upon something. So um, I'm going to need a volunteer. You got a lot of hot air? Yeah, come here. I don't, I don't know your name. What's your name? Cody? Cody's going to help me because I thought I could do this by myself, but I can't. I'm already about. Okay, so Cody. So here's some pressure that people deal with. First thing, work or loss of a job. Okay. And then maybe marriage or divorce. Finances, more money than month or month than money. How about health or sickness and cancer? What about death of someone you love? How about your kids at school and being bullied and being picked on? How about success and power? That pressure. How about spiritual attacks? How about children? You're with me, aren't you, brother? How about children making wrong decisions, teenagers making wrong decisions? How about mental attacks? You're crazy, you're depressed, you're full of anxiety. Perfect, brother. Perfect. I was at the end. Thank you, Cody. Pressure comes when there's no release. Sitting around you right now, there's people with that balloon in their heart, just little by little, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you don't even know what's happening. You don't look them in the eye when they go outside. I don't look them in the eye. I'm so busy getting out of here and had no one don't even look at them. But pressure's building inside of them. I was listening to a young man this morning on a video, and he was talking about the millennials, which that's not me. But I could relate to some of it. And he said that people that the more you're on Facebook, the more depressed you are. He said literally statistics have shown that because there's no balance in it. You sit on Facebook all the time and you watch what everybody's saying and what, how wonderful everybody else's life is and your stinks. And so it begins to create anxiety and depression in your life. That's exactly like that. You don't believe me? Let's just think for a minute. We got road rage. Did you see the video on TV where the three women got right out of the middle of the lanes of traffic and one had a ball bat and they began to beat each other up? I mean, grown women. Road rage. You know what happened? Their balloon got too big. How about the school shootings? Let me tell you, I've got two, my son-in-law and my daughter both are in the school system, and they tell me you can look them in the eye and you can find them because the pressure is so thick it seeps out of their eyes you got kids coming to school every week that's been talked down and beat down and no love and no care, walking out of that home and walking, getting in that school bus or coming to school every single week, and that pressure is building and building, and it just takes one person to walk by and say, your clothes stink. Just one thing to make that balloon pop like it did for Cody. One thing. There's pressure all around us. Adults are dealing with pressure. I'm telling you, come work for a bank. How many bankers do I have in here? Raise your hand. I want to see you. I know we got one, two, three. Ask them if there's not pressure in the banking world. 
we're supposed to control counterfeit money, drug runners, um, now cannabis money. I mean, we're supposed to be the police for everything in the banking. You talk about pressure, then you got every criminal in the world trying to counterfeit everything that they can, and you're trying to figure out if a check's good or not. And can I get three amens? I'm telling you, we got pressure on our job. So do you. There's pressure in marriages. If you got, I want, I know everybody wants a baby, right? Everybody don't have a baby wants a baby. There's pressure having babies. When you don't have sleep for about three years, there's pressure. I'd love somebody put on Facebook when what is your fantasy dream and the the mama said 14 hours of sleep and a, a breakfast buffet afterwards. I mean, there is pressure being a mom and dad. There's pressure paying your bills. There's pressure in everything that we have to deal with around here because the enemy has created that atmosphere. And I'm telling you, if we don't begin to recognize the pressure around us and begin to pray for people and begin to love on them and begin to care about them, they're going to blow just like that balloon did. We see it in, sh- in malls. How many of y'all love to go shopping now in the malls because you don't know what crazy person's got their balloon too full and they begin to shoot it up. Instead of us being the match that lights the fire sometimes, we need to be the light of the world, always looking for a way to help someone through their hard times. We, it's up to us. Jesus left us here to do it. He was always, always, Jesus was a lover of the people. And he reprimanded the religious people a whole lot more than he did the sinners. A whole lot. So it's, I kind of got permission, and I'm not reprimanding you. I'm just asking you to open up your heart and kind of give yourself a report card today. I agree that, and I I saw this on Facebook, and I agree that we can't beat the world over the head with the Bible and tell them unless they follow the book and follow the rules that they're going to hell. We can't do that and them accept it. But loving people means leading people to the truth. And I I have to do more than just love them. I have to get truth in them or they'll never make it. You can't. You can't live on just love alone. There's a song, country song about that, right? You can't live on love alone. You gotta have some truth in you as a Christian. And we've got to know that truth and we've got to be able to share it with them. Amen. In Ephesians 2 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. My last point, grace. I've heard of this, the, the acronym GRACE stands for God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That's a good one, isn't it? God's Riches at Christ's Expense. The Hebrew word is favor, which means to bend or to stoop in kindness to another. God's provision for every need we have, every possible need, is met through grace. And it all happened on the cross. They talked about it in their songs today, and I thought that was so good. He paid the price, so it was a finished, finished work. Now, if we go back to Acts verse, uh, chapter 9, we're going back to Paul for just a minute here on grace. In verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the gold. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. 
And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and his eyes were opened, and he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Arise and go to the secret, the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those that call on your name. But the Lord said, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. See, Paul experienced God's grace, and he recognized it. And that's what we've got to learn, how, to, how we can recognize who needs grace and how we can show it to them. That kindness that stoops or leans down to their level, no matter how low you have to get. We sing about amazing grace, and it's often people's favorite song. Even my unbelieving husband, it's his favorite song. We have peace with God through Jesus, and, and so we love the grace that it brings. We have, I don't know how many songs the Praise and Worship teams has about grace, but I'm so glad. Here's what grace does. It doesn't keep record of my wrongs. It, doesn't, it, it heals my sicknesses. Grace gives me peace in the middle of chaos. Grace makes forgiveness available at my repentance. Grace gives second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and grace promotes when we don't even deserve it. Grace opens doors of opportunities, and it cleanses me from all unrighteousness, and God has prepared a place for me eternally through grace. Now, I'm sitting here among probably 95% of y'all that say you're Christians, that you've given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you didn't, haven't needed grace like I have. Maybe you grew up in a godly home, and you made all the right decisions growing up. Maybe you waited on the right person to share your life with. Maybe you never touched drugs or alcohol. Maybe you stayed pure before marriage and unfaithful afterwards. Maybe life's been good to you, and the right job came along, and money's plentiful, and people really like you, and you have perfect kids. Maybe life's never hit you upside the head by two, with a two-by-four. Maybe you've never seen dark days for so long that you forgot what the sun looked like. But for those of us that's lived with some of this, grace is precious. And when you've had no option but to lean on the grace of a loving Savior, you're going to look at others dealing with the same circumstances in a whole different way. Grace will cause you to encourage and to support and to love and to pray and stand alongside the struggling souls. There's something about life circumstances that often remind me to stay humble before God because in my entire world, pride will cause him to oppose me, and I can't afford that. I've got to have God on my side. Pride will sneak in, and you won't even know it's there, and God's grace will reveal it to you. For the Christian who said, I'm not proud, 
It's a sign you are. I've tried to share the signs with you today. Today is the day to repent of it. For the one today, they're sitting here under pressure that's about to explode like that balloon did. Grace will release that pressure if you'll receive it. Grace will do that. For the one who said, you don't need a crutch like Jesus, someone to lean on, today's your day to say, I need your grace, Jesus. We all need God sooner or later to bend or to stoop in kindness to us and to follow his example and do the same for others. When I look over our congregation at you, I, I look to the praise and worship team and I think, aren't you all glad that grace allowed you all the ability to lead praise and worship? Wasn't one thing you all done to deserve it. It was grace. I'm so grateful that God picked them out and gave them grace to do that, aren't you? Pastor, aren't you glad that God gave you the grace to lead a congregation of people, be the shepherd of the sheep? As I look out among you guys, I know that there's so many of you in businesses and out in the world. It's not just in here that God has given us grace to be who we are and do what we do. But there are people sitting in here this week, I promise you, that need your grace. They don't need your pride telling you everything's wrong about you, them, because they already know what's wrong with them. And so today, I want to ask you to respond. I want to ask you to check your heart. Because God is about to do something amazing with this body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you right up front, pride will destroy it if we allow it.